I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back to another episode of Multilingual Mamas. Today, we're going to talk with the Myers, a couple who succeeded at raising their two kids bilingual in Spanish and English using what we have decided to call the Monday through Friday method. Welcome, Kathy and Matt, and thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Welcome. Thank you. So first, can you all just tell us a bit about yourselves? What is your personal language background? Um, what languages did you grow up speaking? Um, and what languages did you learn later? And in what context did you learn those languages? Okay, I'll start here. So um, I grew up speaking English and I started taking Spanish classes in middle school when I was in seventh grade. And I had a lot of trouble, but an opportunity arose to be an exchange student when I was in 11th grade. And so I went to Mexico on a Rotary scholarship and um, spent the whole year in 11th grade in Mexico. And then when I came back, um, I was pretty heavy into music and I went to a conservatory for college, but partway through my second year, I realized this really isn't what I wanna do. And I'd really enjoyed learning Spanish, but I was also very interested in German. So I started studying German in college and I continued to study Spanish also as an undergraduate. And then my junior year in college, I studied in Germany for a year. Mm and came back and finished um, a, a Spanish and a German major as an undergraduate. And then thought, what's the hardest thing I did? I know what it is, it's teaching literature. So I decided to go into <laughs> comparative literature. And that was fun, but there really weren't that many jobs in that area. So I sort of moved into Spanish at that point, mm -hmm. um, but I've always loved both languages. and. I really enjoy teaching languages as part of my graduate work. Um, after Matt and I met each other, we decided that we would take our honeymoon in South America and go backpacking for a year. So oh my we God. worked in a South year? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was an academic year. We took the year off between our master's and our doctoral work and um, backpacked and worked in a anosteria in southern Chile. And um, I, I helped out in the kitchen, and um, Matt will tell you he worked as a, as a translator and a barman. <laughs> and then when we came back, we finished our doctorates. I got the, a job here in Winston-Salem as a, a professor of Spanish, and then eventually uh, became the director of, the, of our study abroad program in Salamanca, Spain. And so in 2011, um, by then we had kids. Mm -hmm. um, we took our kids and lived in Salamanca for a year. And then since then, I've traveled back from time to time. And this has completely messed up my Spanish. I have very hybrid sounding um, accents in Spanish. But wow. yeah. You have two kids, right? Mm -hmm. You want mm -hmm. to tell us their names for reference Nicholas. later? <laughs> okay, so Vivian is the daughter. She's the older one. And Nicholas is our son, and he's younger. And they're about four and a half years apart. Um, Vivian is now 24 and Nick is 19. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Matt? Yeah. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also grew up in an English speaking household. I grew up in Los Angeles and um, 
I had four older brothers, all of whom studied Spanish ahead of me. Mm. And so, you know, they would play around at the dinner table and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So I, uh, from that and also from growing up in LA, I heard a lot of Spanish. Um, and that's what I studied in middle school and high school. <laughs> but I was ready to toss it all out the window going to college because all we ever got to do in high school was conjugate verbs. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to college, though, in order to get all of the back credits for the AP exams, you had to take the next course in the sequence, which was kind of like their gateway to the major in they Spanish. They got me. Yeah, they <laughs> they started letting me study things other than um, verb paradigms, you know, and so um, I did a Spanish major um, at Pomona College in Southern California. And then went to Madison, Wisconsin uh, to do graduate work, which is where Kathy and I met, as she said. And both of our kids were actually born there. Um, and so I studied historical Spanish linguistics there. And um, unlike my darling wife, I did not like teaching languages. <laughs> so I got out of that and got into the study abroad administration area while we were both finishing our our doctoral work um, and that was terrific of course because you know you get to be in touch with people all throughout the university and all throughout the world and so that was a lot of fun i also got the chance to study a decent amount of portuguese in madison um, because strangely the department of defense gives the university a whole bunch of money to teach people portuguese mm. um, it's kind of a holdover from post-World War II issues where they wanted to teach people a bunch of strategically important languages, and Portuguese was considered one because of um, naval bases on the Azores, I think, or something along those lines. Um, I don't know. Anyway, there was a bunch of money to study Portuguese, and you had to do that in order to be a historical linguist in Spanish so anyway. For historical so linguistics. It was great. Useful. Yeah. Um, and... So nowadays, in terms of um, using Spanish, it's just uh, when I am in the presence of Kathy's colleagues at the Spanish department in, <laughs> in Winston-Salem, or sometimes out and about, you know, if I'm in a, just a normal life situation and uh, it's necessary to speak Spanish, then that's handy. Well, I think you guys can answer the question I have for you. I was, I was going to ask you when and how did you meet it? Did Spanish have anything to do with it? And now I know that it kind of does. So oh, there's actually sure. there's a better story than that. Oh, cool. Tell us. Tell us. So in graduate school, when we started our when we started our master's degree, one of the um, courses that we had to take was a linguistics course that was called From Latin to Romance. And oh my I, gosh, Cesar and I met in a class <laughs> called Romance Linguistics as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I decided that I needed some help with this class as Matt knew what I was doing. So mm -hmm. that was actually how we met. I asked him for help. He came over and tutored me and I served him pancakes and wine. And, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> Watch out for those romance linguistics classes, people. Yeah, That's true. They're very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he helps anybody, I met my husband studying abroad. So another plus of going abroad. Yeah. In Germany, not even a romance language. I mean, yeah, mm. yeah, it was meant to be. <laughs>
So what would you say your practices at home since you have two children? What languages do you use to communicate with each other at home? Sure. Well, nowadays our children are not at home and mostly we still kind of go on the, the Monday to Friday system where at home um, we speak to each other in Spanish, except on the weekends. Um, and I think that that was an outgrowth of uh, the way things developed with our kids. You know, we started off when Vivian, our older child, was very little. We would speak Spanish for a week and then English for a week and alternate back and forth like that um, because her contact with the outside world was essentially non-existent at first, right? You know, the baby doesn't get out much. Um, eventually, when she started going to preschool, we knew she was getting her English dosage, I guess you could say, for the day there. So she'd get home and we would speak Spanish. But we didn't want home to be only Spanish. We wanted her to know that we were capable of speaking English too. Mm -hmm. And so we would do English on the weekends. That's what that's the reality. <laughs> and then that mostly uh, stayed consistent when our second child was born, um, even when he was pretty little. Uh, we we pretty much stuck with the Monday to Friday Spanish and then weekends in English. And when we took them to Spain for a year, um, they only got one day in English. They got Sundays in English at home. How old were they when you went to Spain? Nick was in third grade in Spain and Vivian was in seventh. Wow. Yeah. So let me just back up to before we had kids, though, because this this kind of you know, this idea of speaking Spanish to each other at home and with our kids um, actually started a little bit before then. When we went to South America and we were working and traveling together, um, we noticed that other people, you know, on the street or the people in the osteria where we worked um, were less inclined to talk to us if we were talking English with each other. Mm. So we just made up our minds that we were going to speak Spanish with each other. And it was a good learning experience for me because my vocabulary was still not that large. Mm. And I learned a lot from Matt. Matt had studied in Spain and, um, you know, it had a, a study abroad experience more recently than I had. Mm -hmm. And we just found that it kind of opened us up to more interactions with Chileans yeah. and Peruvians when we were traveling. So we already, you know, had spent a year doing that really weird thing, which was speaking a foreign language for, you know, with each other um, and kind of getting used to that. So when we found out we were going to have a kid, it wasn't as huge a leap to do that. Okay. Um, and that's when we just made up our minds that we we're going to continue doing this. And now we continue to do it because I don't have that much contact with native speakers. And I really want to be able to teach my students and stay current with Spanish. And it helps me a lot for the two of us to speak Spanish, at least, you know, during the week, except when we have an argument and then it's always in English. <laughs> and for some reason, when we talk on the phone, we almost always oh, revert sure. to English. I don't know why that is, but somehow that happens. And another little interesting bit of that, or maybe it's interesting, um, when we were working at this kind of bed and breakfasty type place in southern Chile, um, the owners were Americans with kind of weak Spanish, and all of the employees were Chileans who knew no English at all. 
Mm-hmm. And it could get a little uncomfortable when the owners would come to us in the presence of other employees and talk to us in English and people are wondering, you know, are they talking behind our back? What's going on? And all that sort of thing. So we really thought it would be much better for our relationships with our coworkers not to speak English in front of them. Got it. Mm-hmm. And do you know what language your kids use with each other? English, except sometimes when they're with us. Right. Especially if we're traveling together in another country and they want to have private conversations with us, but they don't want the people around us to understand because they know that most people will understand English depending on which country we're in. Um, you know, but for example, we were traveling in Greece a couple of years ago and wanted to not be perceived as the Americans who don't know any other languages, mm-hmm. um, but not also to be, you know, overheard a lot. So we spoke Spanish to each other and completely confused everybody. Um, you got to be careful with Spanish too, though. That is true. Um, how did that Monday through Friday method go um, logistically? Did the kids ever challenge you or reject the method or speaking Spanish in general? What was the most challenging thing for you two um, about that method specifically or about speaking a non-native language in your home regularly? Anything come to mind about the logistics of how that all worked out that you could share with us? Yeah, um, I would say that our kids were pretty amenable to the whole program for the most part. There were times when we might have to remind them, but we tried not to make it kind of, uh, you know, you're in trouble kind of thing if you're not speaking the language that you're supposed to be speaking right now. Because we didn't want that sort of association. Um, and really, mostly our older child, Vivian, um, she's the one who has kind of mostly stopped speaking Spanish, uh, except, you know, she still can. And she does when the situation calls for it. But when she visits here, she prefers to speak to us in English. Um, but, you know, she was also for, uh, I don't know how long, a year or two, she was dating a guy who is, um, he's the son of a Colombian and an Uruguayo. Uh, and she'd go visit that family and, you know, be able to speak to everybody, which, you know, she really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. As far as the logistics, I, I would say one of the things that was a little bit of a stumbling block for us is you know when you come across a situation where you just don't really know the right word because you just didn't grow up with the language um, and life has to move on sometimes you make it up you know (laughs) (laughs) and and some of those things found their way into our kids vocabulary and then i remember uh when we were getting ready to move to spain for a year um Vivian became aware that a lot of the words that she had learned from her mother were specific to Chile Mm. and probably wouldn't be understood very well in Spain. And one night at dinner, I remember her kind of demanding a list, you know, what are all the things (laughs) that I need to relearn here? Uh, So we, you know, we tried to give her some pointers on that. You know, I think as sometimes happens with kids of that age, she was a little more worried than she needed to be. But uh, that sort of thing did, um, you know, it cropped up from time to time. Most, I would say mostly in terms of vocabulary. Yeah, I would, I would just add that um, I think that, you know, our kids have pretty different personalities. 
and they have different birth orders. And partly as a consequence of both things, they develop somewhat different relationships to Spanish and also to English. And they love each other. There's no doubt about it, but they're also a little bit competitive. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that our son um, has sort of, you know, distinguished himself from his sister is by being more excited and willing to speak Spanish when we're together as a family. And little by little, this started to get under her skin. (laughs) So, you know, when we get together as a family, he kind of niggles her sometimes by saying, let's speak Spanish. And she's just like, ah, you know, I don't speak Spanish anymore at home. I'm only here for a couple of days. I really just want to speak English. And so they have, you know, developed slightly different relationships with, with the language. Um, and the other thing is Nicholas has, um, like me, started out in music and then discovered, nope, not the right field for me. And he's gone into linguistics. Wow. And you know, he just, he's really interested in languages, not necessarily in, in Spanish as a field, mm-hmm. but um, he's just really interested in that. And Vivian uses her Spanish sometimes in her, uh, in her teaching, and she lives in Spanish Harlem and has to speak Spanish a lot. But for, for various reasons, they've just developed different, you know, relationships with, with Spanish and with English and within the context of our family. How did this yeah. method work out with your family, who I'm assuming is only English speaking? Was there any pushback? Did they understand your reasoning for it? I'm asking because I know that uh, Lauren has a situation in which her parents don't speak Spanish, and that can get tricky sometimes. Yeah, um, both of our extended families live pretty far from us. Um, Kathy's family is in in upstate New York, and mine is in LA still. And so, you know, we would just kind of interrupt mostly our rhythm uh, when we, if we were going to be with them for uh, any extended period of time. They thought we were a little odd undoubtedly and you know would make the occasional joke but um i think they were also you know sort of a little bit uh i don't want to say in awe that sounds like a big old brag or something (laughs) but you know they're they're sort of like wow a couple of you you know americans ended up raising these two bilingual kids that's kind of cool how did that work it is kind of cool they had all struggled with foreign languages themselves in one way or another. Um, and I think, you know, they just realized that, um, you know, this is a better way to learn a language. Um, and it kind of goes along with another thing that we did with our kids that is totally unrelated, except that it's very related, which is, um, yeah, uh, giving our, our kids Suzuki musical instruction. And if you know anything about um, the Suzuki method, it's very, um, you know, parent and child intensive. Um, The idea being that kids, if they're exposed to a lot of music and if they work side by side with their parents, kind of partnering up and learning an instrument from a really, really young age, they can excel in, you know, an unusual way. And, um, you know, learning a language was very similar in some ways. You know, we just exposed them to a lot of Spanish and expected that they'd be able to do this and, you know, excel in a way that they wouldn't if they waited and started to learn a language in school. And our, you know, our parents thought that was, you know, they thought it was cool because they they had supported us in musical instruction and um, and they'd struggled with languages themselves. And actually, 
probably uh, committing to raising your kids as Suzuki musicians is in some ways a bigger commitment than trying to raise them bilingually because, you know, it's every day you're sitting down and focusing entirely on, um, you know, for some period of time, you're focusing entirely on what's going on musically with your kid and trying to remember at all times that it's about a relationship and not about learning notes. Yeah, very interesting. I've never heard of it. So, um, so you all are gathering. You were the main source of input for your children, but did you take advantage of any community resources? Like, was there any sort of bilingual education available to you, or like after-school programs, um, nannies, or anything that you took advantage of? Uh, really, just our our friends in graduate school. There were, you know, lots and lots of native speakers that we went to school with. And um, so, you know, we'd hang out with them and uh, they thought it was pretty funny too, but we're definitely willing and able to pitch in. There was no, um, I don't remember that we had access to any bilingual education or, um, you know, daycare or anything like that. We, because of our schedules, we were able to pretty much have, uh, our kids only in essentially like half day preschool type thing until they went to kindergarten um, because we could figure out how to, you know, do our, our writing and our classwork and all that in a way that we could play tag team, which is very handy. Um, one thing that I wish there had been greater resources for uh, would be children's books for very young ages. Um, you know, there are, there are things for older kids in Spanish, and there's a lot of children's literature in English and board books and all kinds of things like that. But we ended up um, having kind of a limited collection in Spanish. And so a lot of times, if it was a Spanish day and you're sitting there and you're going to read, you know, whatever it is, the owl and the pussycat or something, uh, you just translate it on the fly. <laughs> and the kid's none the wiser. They didn't, you know, they couldn't read uh, yet, so uh, there were there were a few occasions when the kids didn't necessarily know which language a book was in, really. So much it's later so in hard, life, though, because especially mm -hmm. with early books, so much of it is is like in the sound and the rhyme, and it just gets so it's so frustrating to have yeah. to translate it yourself or to have have a poor translation. But. Yeah, I was a lot better at this when I was in my 30s. <laughs> I'm not very good at it anymore. It's tough, very tougher than it sounds, <laughs> or at least for me. We did eventually build up a, a pretty good um, library of children's books in Spanish. Whenever we went to a place like New York City where there would be bookstores with big collections, we stocked up and, um, you know, we just uh, always check the, the shelves to see what there might be and and got some good ones from Spain. Um, so we did eventually build up a pretty good stock. And friends would friends in graduate school gave us children's books in Spanish when they came back from their travels, which was really nice. Yeah. Did you did you also teach them how to read and write in Spanish? So this was the best thing about it. Um, you know that week on week off method um, 
One of the most exciting things I can remember about graduate school was not actually graduate school. It was teaching our kids to read. Because the very strange thing was, before, before we ever reached the teaching them to read stage, what we noticed was that in English and in Spanish, the Monday after we would switch languages, you know, we could, we could at that point, like we knew what words Vivian knew. But the Monday after we switched back, it was like she'd been processing the other language the whole week that we were speaking, you know, the other language. So if we'd been in Spanish for a week, the Monday we started speaking English again, it was like her vocabulary just leapt forward. Hmm. Like she'd been processing overnight or or throughout the week, a lot of English vocabulary that we didn't even know she was picking up. And then the following week, when we go back to Spanish, the same thing would happen. Hmm. Um, so it really, it was really clear to us that there was a benefit to them overall in both languages to, to be learning too. Hmm. And then um, when she did start to learn to read, we taught her Spanish first because it's much more phonetic than English is. And I remember really clearly um, sticking sticky notes on um, things around the room in our tiny little apartment, like mesa or um, I don't know, lampada. Mm -hmm. And you know, she'd learn the sounds that went with the letters. And so we'd walk around the room and kind of sound it out. And she picked it up really quickly in Spanish. And then she transferred that to, to her English reading. And reading came really, really quickly um, to her. Nick took a little bit longer. And, you know, he, he scared us a little bit. Or he scared me because I tend to worry. Um, but again, once I just sat him down and said, look, it's really easy in Spanish. Let's start with Spanish. And, you know, taught him how the sounds go with the letters. And he picked that up. He transferred that to English. And it really helped his reading. Uh, in English. That's nice that you see that such clear cross-linguistic additive, mm -hmm. you know, advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So until what age did you guys do every other week in Spanish? Did that change eventually and became Monday through Friday? Or are you talking about the two days off that they got in Spanish and then just picking up again on Monday? I think we did that until about the time Vivian went to kindergarten. Okay. Um, and she she was a fairly precocious reader, so she was reading before kindergarten. Um, Nicholas took a little longer. I think he started really reading around first grade. Um, but the yeah, the week on week off thing didn't give way to Monday till Friday until she was in school, like really, really in school, I think. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I really like the idea of giving them time to process because I feel like my son sometimes he, he's like me and he needs some time to process and everything is so fast paced that he just gets frustrated. So giving them some space might be the way to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we have the expression to sleep on it, right? When yeah. you need mm -hmm. to think something over and process. And I think it's that notion just kind of extended over a longer period. But it was yeah. very noticeable. Yeah. That's great. Also, you know, we have different personalities in English and in Spanish. And it was really important that the kids have space and time to be their native speaker personalities, where, you know, they can joke around better in English and be snarky and tease each other. Um, that all comes more easily in English than it does in Spanish. 
And, you know, they needed a break from being in the language that was more work for them because they never got as much input in Spanish as they did in English. Um, so for, you know, for social and emotional reasons, it was really important to have those processing times and breaks also. Did they have um, any peers or that they can speak Spanish with? Any friends? Uh, obviously in Spain they did um, because it was they were just in regular schools. Um, here in the States, um, Nicholas had a friend or two in uh, elementary and middle school. Actually, um, you know them. You know the, the Burgoses, I'm sure, oh. from your department. <laughs> um, when, when we went to Spain, um, uh, this is probably totally wrong context-wise for you, but... Um, the family that, uh, came here was them. Uh, they came as we were leaving and, um, they, you know, were coming into the same department that Kathy works in. Um, and then they had nowhere to stay. They had no car. They didn't know where to send their kids to school, all that. They're moving from Columbia. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and they had kids, a boy and a girl, more or less the same ages as our boy and girl. So they essentially assumed our lives. They came and rented our house, <laughs> used our car, and sent their kids to the same schools that ours had been going to, and you know became friends with all of our friends. <laughs> so, um, and then when we got back, um, you know, they were in school with our kids too. That's great. So there was a little bit of that, um, but not a lot, not a lot more than that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that's that's really um, interesting and noticeable is that um, kids figure out really quickly which language they're speaking and which language is the language that people around them are speaking. And they developed a real social sense that, um, you know, Spanish is not the language that everybody around them is speaking. And even though they knew it, when our friends who did speak some Spanish tried to speak to them in Spanish, they didn't want to do it. It was like, I'm not going to perform. This feels weird. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so they, they wouldn't sort of like flex in front of friends, especially, you know, if people were just kind of treating them like animals in a zoo. Show me how you can speak Spanish. They're not but they would that. they would speak Spanish with our native speaker friends, Yeah. you know, native speakers of Spanish, you know, because they they realized that that was the more appropriate thing. Um, mm -hmm. One funny thing. You remember, Kathy, when Vivian was pretty little, I think it was a little while before Nicholas was born, she had this thing for a while where we might be out in public and speaking to her in Spanish, you know, like we're the mall or something. And um, we're, you know, going through the store looking at stuff. And then it comes time to check out and you get to the register and the cashier says something to you in English. And there was a short while when Vivian felt like she needed to tell us what that meant in spanish <laughs> it didn't last for very long but it was very cute you know she would she took it upon herself to be our little personal interpreter um at the age of like three and a half or something you know that is cute um that was pretty cute and um the other thing that i thought was you know as a person who has studied linguistics um i thought was pretty interesting was that the sort of input that you get in a foreign language from people who are not native speakers, you know, me and Kathy are not, we're not native speakers of Spanish. So the input we were giving our kids was imperfect. Um, like for instance, making sure that your 
your nouns and your adjectives agree, right? In Spanish, we would make mistakes from time to time. Um, I know native speakers do sometimes too, have a slip of the tongue, but we probably did it more often. And yet, our kids managed to internalize the rule and then sometimes correct us. <laughs> we were making mistakes in Spanish, um, which uh, at first was a little um, humbling, but then, you know, became pretty. Uh, I just thought it was it was kind of exciting and neat to see how their little brains could figure out what was going on and help us when we needed help. That's kind of exactly what you want them to be able to do, you know, not have to struggle with that. Um, and, they, and they don't. I do still. But um, they're better at it. Yeah. Um, so looking back to, you know, kind of over time, was there ever a time when you really thought about quitting or doubted your decision, whether it was the right decision or looking back? now is there anything you feel like you should have done differently or would do differently if you could do it again mm -hmm. one thing that i think i was not very well attuned to was um that our daughter um was a, i think especially later in the time that she lived at home you know before she left for college i think was feeling more that this was an imposition on her and I mean, there's actually quite a few things in our lives where I didn't realize that she was feeling pressured when, even in some cases where we were kind of trying to deliberately avoid pressuring her, <laughs> you know, how that can happen where a person feels um, like there are expectations, even if those expectations maybe are coming more from inside of them or their, their perception of what another person thinks. Um, I think being aware of that um, would have made it more possible to talk about it openly and maybe help her not feel that way as much. Um, beyond that, I, I don't think I would have wanted to stop doing it or change course or anything like that. I think, and I think they agree. I think they, they think that it was a really valuable way to, um, or an easy way to learn language and a valuable um, insight into the world. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it could be really interesting for you to talk to them at some point, because you probably don't get the perspective from grown-up kids very often, and they might tell you something different from what we've told you, but I suspect, um, you know, that, um, like Matt said, they probably, you know, don't have a lot of regret, um, and, I, and they definitely recognize the value of it, and I would say, you know, you can't disentangle language from all the other things that go with growing up and going through adolescence when you're trying to separate from your parents. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, kids have to do that. And the language that you're speaking, um, you know, just like family conventions around how do we pick the movie we're going to watch together? How do we decide what we're going to eat? Um, you know, what do I get to wear? What kind of music do we listen to? They all become, you know, part of that tension of growing up and separating, but also mm -hmm. staying part of the family. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what? Just kind of to conclude, what advice do you have for parents who are thinking about it, or like us in the process of raising their children bilingual, whether they're bilingual or not? Do you have any advice for them? 
any encouragement at this point? <laughs> I mean, encouragement for sure. Definitely stick with it. Go for it. Just recognize that you're not going to be perfect and, you know, human beings aren't. Um, as far as advice is concerned, I guess um, sometimes I think it's useful to be able to step back and actually talk to your kids about what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm. And that goes for a lot of things, not just for what languages you're trying to teach them. Um, a lot of times I think we we expect that a child's understanding of things matches their ability to express the thing. And it's not true. Kids understand a lot more than they can tell us. And speaking to them um, as if they're more mature and understanding than their ability to communicate would, would lead us to believe, I think is really valuable, both for this and for other aspects of parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times, um, you know, kids are, they're going to value the things that you value yourself. And you you end up leading a lot by example. And then also, you know, talking openly about how, you know, when I was learning languages, this thing was hard for me. And um, it's so much easier if you, you know, grow up speaking it, because then you won't struggle with this particular thing that I struggled with. Um, you know, our kids connected with that a lot. And, you know, just periodically sharing I'm so glad that, you know, you're going to be able to do this better than I could. Um, for them, I think, was a, a pretty good motivator. And, you know, just sticking with it, you know, always coming from a place of, you know, you know, love. And, you know, we're doing this because we think it'll make, you know, your life rich. And uh, and this is something we can do for you that, um, that nobody else can. Yeah, I think positive feedback around mm -hmm. their minority language is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a good idea because oftentimes they might feel like their non-dominant language is you know less than or hard or whatever and might not get a lot of positive feedback that's good yeah. mm -hmm. and then and in this country today being able to um, navigate culturally in spanish and in english opens up a lot of the space of this country. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And a lot of it in this whole hemisphere, to be honest. Um, which, you know, you guys teach language, right? <laughs> you know how hard it can be for kids who are starting in college or a little earlier to really become um, linguistically and culturally proficient. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, just, it's really rough. Yeah. Do you feel like that year abroad also helped them kind of see that in action and being able to communicate with their peers who might have been monolingual speakers that kind of really give them like a push and be like, wow, this thing my parents have been doing with me, it's really setting me up for success or like I feel really cool about myself. I don't know what age that was, but maybe like that might like correlate with that age in which they need like an, uh, like a boost, like identity wise or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely did give them a boost, you know, when it hit them at a really good time. I mean, not that third grade's ever easy or seventh grade is easy, yeah. but it really made them, um, it, it, I think it probably almost made them feel like the whole point of all this stuff that we've been doing for all these years was to be able to do this now, which is to come and go to, um, you know, to a school with um, other Spaniards and not just to be in a, a bilingual school or 
you know, set apart in an English only school. Um, so it made a lot of sense of it, I think, for them. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It was still, a, it was a very challenging year for them still, um, not so much because of the language, but because um, the culture of elementary education in Spain is extremely different from the culture of elementary education in this country. And um, it, you know, it was difficult for us too, as parents to, to figure out how do we fit into this, um, into this setting where, you know, small things and large things, you know, small things like you walk into the school um, and uh, I guess I was used to being able to, you know, walk up the stairs to the office where so-and-so has their, you know, their office and getting hollered at by the, <laughs> by the gatekeeper for, you know, taking a step up the stairway that I wasn't supposed to go up. Um, and, uh, you know, just learning what the, the, the different boundaries are and the different expectations, um, well beyond the language issue. Learning to do long division write it the Spanish way, mm. it's so different. Um, <laughs> you know, so there, there was more than one, you know, facet to the bilingualism that was required. Yeah. But it all would have been totally impossible without their having um, learned Spanish to begin with. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think it's good for our kids to see a struggle sometimes, you know, like, I don't know how to do things. And I think I got a little dose, dose of that, even when we went to Spain and I had, I've never been in Spain as an adult who works and pay taxes because I moved here way too young. So I didn't know how to do things. And just the fact that I spoke Spanish well, and as an A speaker, my, my son was confused sometimes. He's like, why don't you know these things? And I'm like, because these are things that I have not experienced here. And he was just like, oh, I had you as this absolute person and you're not. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Glad I can speak Spanish and go to this office and talk to this person and try to figure out, hey, what do I need to make an appointment with the doctor or what, what are the things that I need? And I would just like emphasize this, like, it's, would I be able to do this without, you know, knowing how the system works or Spanish? And he's like, no. And I was like, so he saw me as a more vulnerable person. And I think that was good. I, it kind of hurt me a little bit. <laughs> but at the same time, it was good for him to see that. It's like, oh, she doesn't know everything. And I'm like, no, I do not. But I'm going to show you how to learn how to know everything when you need it. You know, like just the process of like asking questions, learning where you need to go. Problem solving, basically, mm -hmm. when it's not related to a language necessarily. But uh, th I think that's good that the kids, you know, see that. It's like, we don't know how things work. Let's figure it out together. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. So yeah, much. Is there anything else you guys wanted us to ask you? Anything you wanted to say? Hmm. <laughs> that's a that's the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I guess I'm just really, you know, I'm just really glad um, for us and for our kids that um, that this was something that we were able to do and that we were. Um, that our lives allowed us to have the commitment to doing in that way. And I know that it's a little weird. It's probably extra weird in a situation where you have two non-native speakers of a language trying to raise their kid to learn that language. Mm -hmm. um, and it, we didn't know anyone else doing that. Yeah. I think that um, things are changing and we're seeing that profile more and more. We've actually interviewed a couple of people who are doing this. And I noticed that when I was in Salamanca last time too, there's a lot of Spanish people who know English and they're trying to talk to their kids in English. 
Oh, wow. That really caught my eye a couple of times. I'm like, oh, I, I can hear they have an accent, but it doesn't matter. You know, like whatever they're able to give them when yeah. they're young, they're doing it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I commend you for doing that back in the day when nobody was, you know, willing to or wanted to or risk doing that. And it's just great for us to see what your kids are able to do right now and the gift that you gave them because it really is a gift for them. Just one thing, which was that, um, you know, we did consider sort of different models of bringing our kids up bilingual. And the advantage of doing it this weird Monday through Friday way is that we're all speaking the same language at the dinner table. Um, you know, we were afraid that if we did one, one person did one language with them and one person did the other, what do you do when you come together as a family? Yeah. And a lot of our best conversations happened around the dinner table. And this just made that simple. And it meant that we would have dinner in Spanish sometimes and we would have dinner in English sometimes. And um, I think um, that's that's where the weirdness of this was worth it. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah. like it just really like a good a teamwork like we're in this together mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. kind of a family project that you're all working on yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. it led to other family projects where we did weird things together and, and didn't worry about it uh, but it was a family experiment yeah. <laughs> yeah. i love that yeah yeah well thank you so much for for talking to us about it i'm pretty sure a lot of people will learn from you and might go that route if that's what that's works for them and thank you both for doing this this is um mm-hmm. i had no idea there was a podcast on this topic so that's great yeah there's many out there but we're trying to add a little bit to it <laughs> all right well then um we'll leave it there for today but we'll be back soon with another episode of multilingual mamas thanks again matt and cassie um and for everyone else hasta luego Ciao. Bye. Ciao. questions for us or questions about the podcast go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram and stay tuned for another episode of multilingual mamas